So I am really excited to jump back into Ephesians today. If you haven't been with us, we are halfway through a series on the New Testament book of Ephesians, which was written by the Apostle Paul, and we're starting chapter 3 today. And here's one big reason why I love this book of the Bible. Because it's all about how God is building his people. God is building the church for a mission that is uniquely theirs to proclaim in Jesus, as Paul says in chapter 1, the immeasurable greatness of God's power over sin and darkness. Think about that. This is an amazing truth if you'll let it be. God is building his people through his spirit. He's building us into into a building, into a body, into a place that communicates his glory for a mission that is uniquely ours to proclaim in Jesus the immeasurable greatness of God's power over sin and darkness. Friends, this is an amazing calling. Give your neighbor a quick high five and say, amazing calling. I'll wait. And if you're watching by yourself today, here you go. Amazing calling. All right. High fives all over Greene County and East Tennessee. Now, here's the danger. In a world where we are all experiencing a great deal of uncertainty and the circumstances are squeezing out of us new or hidden fears and questions and anxieties, we are all in danger of taking up different callings. Already, the uncertainties and the anxieties are beginning to tempt us to take up different callings and to lose our focus on what we're calling today the amazing calling. We're being tempted to lose our focus on the amazing calling in order to redirect our efforts into pursuing what feels like in these circumstances more immediate and pressing concerns like having enough food, having enough money, having enough material resources to make it through. But friends, Ephesians speaks to us today because not only did the Apostle Paul experience similar temptations to different callings, but he was also writing to a group of Christians like us who were experiencing the press of of cultural uh, circumstances and pressures and anxieties that were tempting them to lose focus and to pursue what felt to them like safer callings. And today we're going to talk about our calling to stay focused on communicating God's power during trying times because for basically all of the first 13 verses in chapter 3, Paul talks about staying focused on his own calling during these trying times as an example to the Ephesians so that they would stay focused on their calling. So we want to do the same today to look at Paul's calling that became a model for the Ephesians, which both of those taken together can be a model for us today. So pick it up at Ephesians 3 where Paul begins in a bit of a weird way, in verse 1 here. Uh, But it's pretty typical Paul. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, For this reason, and then he goes into this super long parenthetical thought that we're focusing on today, that goes all the way through verse 13, before he picks up this thought, for this reason again, in verse 14, with the same exact words, for this reason. So, 
for us for this reason. We're going to basically skip for this reason. We tracking? <laughs> All right. So skip for this reason. Move on. Verse 1, he says this. I, Paul, and then he identifies himself. He calls himself, look at this, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Remember, he's writing to the Ephesian Christians there. So he's calling them Gentiles because they were uh, rebellion in rebellion against God before becoming Christians. They didn't have the Old Testament laws. They didn't have the witness of the, the saints in the Old Testament who had gone before. So they were outsiders. And he says, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, those who were previously outsiders and who did not know God. Now, Paul is writing to the Ephesians while in prison, think about this, for preaching the gospel and for being a troublemaker. <laughs> for the kids at home, uh, the air quotes there means he wasn't really being an actual troublemaker. The Roman government, the, the civil authorities, they were just saying that he was. Now also notice here that he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, which is a bit of a weird way to say this, because think about this. He's really a prisoner of the Romans. He knows that, but he's considering himself here writing to the Ephesian Christians who are coming under the cultural press because he considers himself a prisoner of Christ. He considers himself there in those circumstances writing to the Ephesians because of and for Christ's purposes. So even though Paul knows that the Romans put him in prison, here's the key. He clearly understands even his own imprisonment as part of his calling to preach the power of God to the Gentile Ephesians, which, think about it, is a lesson in seeing your own hardship as opportunity. Are we preaching yet? Good stuff. Thank you, Paul. Good stuff. So, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he goes into another sort of parenthetical statement for the next two verses, two and three. He says, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Stewardship is a word that just means management of, caretaker of God's grace. So he's saying, assuming you've heard of the management of God's grace that I have that was given to me, look at this, by God for you. So he says, I'm in prison. God's given me the grace of managing, uh, of managing this responsibility for the sake of others. So assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace given to me for you, how the mystery, we'll come back to that word in a minute, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, meaning was communicated to me by God, as I have written briefly, as I've written to you and other churches before. So in other words, verses 1 through 3, Paul sees himself as in prison in difficult circumstances, but sent there by Christ as a grace manager of sorts. And that's what Paul considers himself to be. So that even in prison, in hard circumstances, he could have the time to write to the Ephesian Christians about what he calls the mystery. 
Paul's calling as a grace manager was to reveal to them what was revealed to him. And he's basically saying here, how cool is it that I am imprisoned so that I would have the time to write to you Ephesians to tell you this mystery? Which he begins to reveal more in depth in verses four to six. Look at this. When you read this, this letter I'm writing to you, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And you'll understand what a cool mystery it is, verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It wasn't revealed to them in the same way that he's calling himself an apostle here, in the same way that it was revealed to me so that I could give it to you. So the mystery is that God has been putting this together from the past to you now through circumstances just like this. This mystery, and he makes this explicit in verse 6, is that the Gentiles, he's talking to the Ephesian Christians, that they're fellow heirs, meaning they are also a part of the same body, members of the same body. They are partakers. They get to be a part of the promises of Christ Jesus that come to them in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what Paul's saying here is that the mystery is that even the people who previously didn't know God, and he's talking about the Ephesian uh, Christians in their past, that even the people who don't previously, didn't previously know God, they're being included in what we described earlier as this amazing calling, right? Like even the people who previously had rejected and been in rebellion against God because of their own sin, they can now receive the promise of eternal life and have forever relationship with God. And they can be a part of what God's doing to build his people who not only have new life, but have a new mission to carry on the mission. And Paul isn't just amazed that the Ephesians, that those Gentiles are now included. He's amazed that he himself is included. As he's talking to them about how amazing it is that they're included, he thinks for himself, he thinks about his own past, about how amazed he is to be included in this work that God's doing to communicate his power even in the circumstances in which Paul found himself. Look at verses 7 to 9. He says, of this gospel, uh, of this good news that he proclaims about relationship with God, Because of this gospel, I was made a minister, a servant, according to the gift of God's grace. Think about this. He's saying, so I now serve by and from and for and for the sake of God's grace, which was given me for what purpose? To preach to the Gentiles, the Ephesians, the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what's the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, Paul is amazed that he, who was once in total rebellion against God, that he gets to reveal God's amazing plan to save people from their sins. This is the amazing calling we have. To preach to those who are far from God, to preach that they have every spiritual blessing and all the riches spiritually to have a relationship with God, the kinds of things that are beyond compare and without measure that they don't deserve and they couldn't ever earn. He gets to write to them from prison in his circumstances, which makes even more clear the truth that even during suffering, 
communicating the power of God to save people from their sin is an amazing calling that everyone who's a part of the work God's doing has. Paul says, even I, as a steward of grace who was gifted what I didn't deserve and what I could never earn, even I am given God's power to communicate to others new life and new mission. And so that means that this amazing calling that he received from God is also now their amazing calling. That's how this works, friends. That's how this mission moves forward. We stand here today talking through the ones and zeros in the cloud all over the world because of what people have done up to this point to make the technology happen. Think about what God's been doing so that we can stand here, sit here in our PJs, in the living room, talking about the gospel. It's because of the same plan Paul has said was happening all the while, given to him, given to the Ephesian Christians, given to generation after generation of people that mean that we are here today. That's the thing we need to stay focused on, even when we're in prison or tempted by the culture around us or other callings or the threat of coronavirus. Friends, Paul's writing to them to use his own example to say, keep focused. That's why he was sent to them. Keep focused. He says he was sent to them so that through them, so that through the church, the manifold, the many-layered, the many-layered wisdom of God might now be made known. It might be revealed. The mystery might be revealed to the rulers, authorities, in the heavenly places. Meaning like, what God's doing is revealing his glory and goodness to the whole world, and you get to be a part of it. Paul says, I was sent here to tell you this. And now in prison, even in hard circumstances, God has put me here so that through these circumstances, the Ephesians could stay focused on this grand plan of God to communicate his power to save. This was God's plan all along, that they would stand strong, that they would be confident even as they were going to be tempted to different callings around them, just like we are today. Look at verse 11. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose. This whole plan was according to the eternal purpose that God realized that he made real in Christ Jesus in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Because of Jesus, friends, we are bold. We have access. We move forward knowing that this mission is not in our hands, but the power comes from God even in our current circumstances. Because of what Jesus himself accomplished for us in his perfect life and sacrifice for us, we can live today with confidence through the faith and trust we have in what he actually accomplished for us. It's a finished work we trust in. Which is why he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Friends, if you're worried about the unknowns and the possibilities and the what-ifs of coronavirus, you're not crazy. <laughs> uh, let's acknowledge it's, it's a real, it's a present concern. And I understand that your present concerns are rooted in past reality. We have real feelings and fears 
in the here and now that come from real hurt and pain in our past. But because we have Jesus, that past hurt and pain, and even those possible future unknowns and fears that might be realized in the here and now, these do not define us because if Jesus actually died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice because he lived the perfect life you and I cannot, then that means we have actual power of new life in him that truly saves us no matter what may come in this life. Jesus himself promised this kind of security in the now and in the not yet. He said this in Matthew 6. Look at this with me. He promised this kind of security for this life and the next when he said this. Therefore, I tell you, Matthew 6, 25, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, he's saying, speaking to those listening to him at the time, since you have me, You have the power of God that has defeated death and given you eternal life so that your life and your body, they are forever safe in me, Jesus says. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not your life more than the stuff that sustains you in the here and now and the body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds. Your father feeds them. Consider the lilies. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear or will we have enough toilet paper or will we have enough sanitizer? He says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. He's using the word Gentiles here to talk about those who don't have a relationship with God. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, knows that you need these all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, they will be added to you. Friends, I can promise you this on the authority of Jesus' own words. If you have him as Lord and Savior... It is truly all going to be okay. Even when it feels like it's not okay. Even if you don't actually have enough of the things of this world. What's so amazing about Jesus' promise is it extends beyond the food and the clothing that most of us feel like we must depend on for our safety. Friends, Jesus is our safety here and forever. So go through this week acknowledging your present concerns, identifying where they come from, washing your hands well, 
practicing social distance, all those kinds of things. But do not give in to those as means for an afterlife beyond this life, as things that keep you safe from the sin that's inside, as valid reasons for chasing after counterfeit callings which are tempting us everywhere right now. Friends, do not be derailed. Do not lose focus. Stay on course. We are a people who God is who's building up through his spirit. He's building us up to become strong and healthy followers so that we can live out the amazing calling we have to proclaim that in Jesus, not only has God given us his power over the sin and darkness of our lives, but he's given us this mission, this amazing calling of declaring with our lives, especially in the current circumstances where it will be made even more well-known through a witness, through suffering, so that we can declare with our lives and with our mouths and with all of the resources that we have, our buying habits, our generosity, our online witness, that he's given us the amazing calling to declare the power of God over sin and darkness, not just in our life, in our lives, but in others' lives. Friends, in the middle of whirlwind of coronavirus, if we know we have Jesus, we do truly have everything we could ever actually need. So we are people of calm and steady confidence called to proclaim God's power over sin and darkness so that others can have everything that they need for whatever relationship with him. There is no government with this job. There's no institution apart from the church with this mission. There's no vaccine for that purpose. So you and I, the people of God, are here today in this moment, in these circumstances, no less empowered by Jesus than Paul in prison, than the Ephesians in that day to proclaim God's power as if it truly saves. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, indeed, we ask that you would make clear to us in the coming days what it means to live as a witness to the power that truly saves us in Jesus. We want to be... um, people whose lives, whose resources in the middle of uh, difficult times that feel tenuous, uh, of times where we wonder if we're going to have everything we need, Um, we're not sure about financial security in the future, we ask that uh, in the middle of these circumstances, Lord, you would continue to direct us through your spirit to the next right step that we know we have to take to make known your goodness and glory in these circumstances. Father, lead us. Make our witness something that others see so that you would be glorified and your goodness would be made known so that we would have the contentment and the peace and the joy of knowing that you are with us in it. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.